Poetry Night rings through. Matt Schumacher and Jim Grable. Grable? Yeah. Cool. To the stage, please. Yes. I've been uh, writing a long time. Uh, back, you know, I go back to uh, the early 70s uh, when. Dan, Raphael, and I were going to share an office, and then I, I moved to Portland instead. Um, <clears throat> recently, uh, I ha- I've had 12 years uh, teaching a interdisciplinary course in sustainability, dealing with climate change, um, world food issues, water um, equity between generations, etc. And um, so, after doing that, um, five years maybe, you know, I, I started trying to process it <laughs> and still be a poet. Anyway, so uh, you may see some of that come out. And um, what I found is that uh, prose poems allowed me to use images, I think in a lyric way, you know, I'd say, and yet have arguments, you know, going on. Like, uh, I thought I'd read one where, you know, uh, Romney, if you remember, was such an incredible person who took credit for everything he was given, you know, and um, so there's an argument about Romney. I mean, uh, it seems to me we're in a time when two paradigms are clashing, and one stole the election, like uh, uh, Greg Palast, <laughs> Donald Trump. I I really don't think uh, was fair, but. Um, anyway, so you may see some arguments in these poems too. Um, one other thing I got into recently uh, is um, what I've gotten into is trying to make arguments for the importance of the other species because, you know, people are ready to just throw spe- whole species, you know, just forget about them, you know. It's, they're not important. It's only people that are important. Um, where does that come from? But, um, you know, the whole idea of our being part of the ecosystem, I mean, literally, if the ecosystem doesn't continue, then we're not going to be able to grow food, and so we're not, you know, we're not going to be here. But we are ecosystems, too, you know. Uh, Our bodies have all these species inside us (laughs) working with us, so how can we say we are who we are? But anyway, <clears throat> this is called, um, oh, so this is one that deals with the cells. It's called Location of the Human Head. The human head clearly prefers its position on top of its neck. It instinctively values having the chance to see a little further 
than if it were somewhere below. You can look down the head and assess general condition of the hands and feet, the chest and stomach, the hips and knees in a glance, perhaps because the body is usually moving forward or to the right or left like a vehicle driven down a highway, additional eyes never grew through the back of the skull. But the brain has invented a composite panoramic vision that contiguously assembles based on best estimates. A quick slice of the long sword separating the head from the neck produces an exacting finality Rolling in dust, the mouth has nothing to add. The eyes are looking at no one, not another warrior or someone in the family. The head in this case is a plucked apple, but without seeds. If detached from evolving bodily cells that created it, the brain loses its mind. Coordination of fingers and thumbs ceases. Blood gushes and pours from the wound. All purposes end with a squeeze box whistling, maybe it is. But the head secure on its original neck observes what's happening and considers its options. It seems to be at home, resting its full synaptic weight on the neck and trunk taking advantage of the view to extend time as it can, not only for itself. Anyway, Um, that argument, you know, uh, some people are willing to throw away whole populations, it seems to me. Um, You know, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, the guy was one of the biggest criminals for uh, behind the Exxon misinformation campaigns that have been going on for 25 years. Anyway. Um, this, this is the one for Romney. Uh, here it was. Uh, It's like one of these where you start writing and you don't know you're writing about Romney and then Romney pops up and, but, um, yeah. Uh, Romney and the nature of light. Light does and doesn't quite exist. A contiguous, there's that word, uh, I can't say. Contiguous series of vacillations in the spectrum. It's an emergent property of infinitesimal disturbances in makeup of the time-space cosmos, an emanation of adjustments to matter, which proceeds only so fast at a frequency that depends on relative conditions. Light's emergence, of course, can be profound enough to inspire awe or terror in sync with a person's state and location. Also in the mix would be residuals of childhood learning gone wrong or shock or wherewithal 
which may have flooded the cells with chemical spills, knocking out thoughts, and so on, with the brain stumped, asking, how could it have happened? Or aren't we all relatives with an ancient mother in common? Speaking of questions of genetic inheritance, how did candidate Romney end up taking credit for causing his effects, ignoring all he was given, the money and benefits of the community, not to mention long-term breakthroughs of evolution or labors and intelligence of anyone he's paid. When he was just a little Romney, what was he being fed? (laughs) There's this Romney and the human condition question, this Romney and seven going on nine billion people question, along with inquiries waiting for takers on Romney and community necessity, Romney and Jeffersonian liberal education, Romney and mental constructs of identity, Romney and how did, was it Jesus in the New Testament acted? The nature of light is to spread itself out, to give itself away wherever it goes. Whatever it is, a form of light exists within thinking, another within cells. The nature of light is to feed the world and then reveal it to itself, to keep going and keep thought going where we're more the same than anything else we might say. Anyway, just a little rant. Um, do you know Neruda's uh, odes to the elements? You know the poems that focus on particular things in the world. And I've always loved them, and found myself um, trying to think about um, certain things. And the title so came out: the idea of, for some reason. So this is the idea of amplified guitar. Driven by thunderhead convergence in the collective, the electric guitar hurls itself into the history of labor. It crashes into a hammered wall of extinctions and matriculates into peaks and life at sea. Through photovoltaic bursts, it maneuvers around anthracite burns in the mouth of starlight, Scientific vectors swiveling at the root of inception. The guitar looks up from the medieval war asking, what did I do? It draws disorder out of suffering and fear. In the womb swum communion of chances, it tenders electrical nerve swaying with light through honey hive prisms before rejoining the whole. The last well-aimed guitar breaks up in suggestion. It comes back drilling with nuclear searchlight, the inability of air to utter a phrase without melting the poles. The least touch of a live string can send out insistence. 
the longing or ache it has floating, sounding on waves that open through air with the guitar's refusal, refusal to cower before present conditions. The plugged-in guitar is part of the human body, which doubles as a ritual instrument, a blessing, and maybe surrender. Cypress lit with ionospheric holds, it resonates within body, releasing it within heart pulse circulation as aging. Cold War silos stay closed. This is called Civilized Identity. There were a couple that hinged around that. Civilized Identity, a person who lives without at least one animal and how the animal talks may be lonely for a word from the cells. As camera boom, booms swing in, you can see dark wires fountaining, spitting archaic sparks from the future private upkeep, the scent of long hair, a loaded dinner plate, the buoyancy of water in cells, you name it, will have been crackling awake under the sky. Does wind follow what identity has been building? Are harbors invaded by so much beginning and ending? Can a person be raised on River Street gruel by interdependent moms of evening rain and do all right? Should the place be done up bright Mayan with priest and holler faces painted in a makeup of snakes and naked hope after the great storm subsides? How much remains on the small tables of self? A person who lives without at least one animal may be hungry enough to eat a complete horse, or believing in human power, he may wield it. I think that was about Trump, too, even though he, he wasn't even running at that time. But. Something like squeeze it. Oh, right there. It's like a trigger or something. Wow, that's intense. All right, that's great. Yeah, can you guys all hear me? Awesome audience. All right, Samuel Taylor Coleridge has always been the man in the moon, picturesquely picturesquely enveloped in his nightcaps, a glowingly pale Coleridge rose slowly to the podium, 
De Quincey assures us, but often seem to labor under an almost paralytic inability to raise the upper jaw from the lower. To see Coleridge in this light explains centuries of silence and a history of missing communications from the true man and the moon. To those of us long in wait for a word from him, one might read Kubla Khan and note the lunar innuendos of its pleasure dome. Bedridden in the attic like any man in the moon should be, Coleridge was known to shout down at his sole attendant, Mrs. Brainbridge, in the basement three floors below, just as the moon might shout at the earth. Mrs. Brainbridge, I say Mrs. Brainbridge, help from many brains and bridges, just what a sad or lazy moon man needs. Need more proof? There were rumors he slept walk with a lantern on the roof. And Coleridge alone wrote how the moon could partake in the murmur of an unwrinkled lake how it was suffused over a sapphire heaven. This poem's called The Neighborly Doll. It's a story that my wife told me from her childhood, The Neighborly Doll. At those grade school sleepovers, your friend's mother always refused to put away her favorite doll, that enormous, peculiar-looking cutie. Why did she leave it on the guest bed? as if insisting that it sleep between you and your friend. After the scary movie, it would be there waiting for you, no matter how or where you turned your head. It stared right at you both alive and dead. Whether waking up from a bad dream or sleepless, even in the pitch black night, with closed blinds, the plastic eyes intensely glistening with moonlight. These are a few, well, a couple fantastical drinking songs from the little chat book <laughs> called Favorite Maritime Drinking Songs of the Miraculous Alcoholics. Oh, this, this is cool. Yeah. I do. Right on. So this one's called Song of Saturnalian Mirth. These are about sound a lot and rhyme and they rhyme too much and, uh, they're miraculous alcoholics or the central figures. Song of Saturnalian Mirth. The miraculous alcoholics turned pub crawl into mall ball. Those sallow louts who brawl longer than law allows. Surely they carouse with such blush-faced gusto. God cannot bless these thuggish drunks any less than he blesses young Amish ruffians stomping at barn hops during rumspringa or Jack Mormons wide-eyed on LSD instead of LDS. Irrationality makes sense. Slaves invert aristocratic worlds forever into carnivalesque. The satyrs sow wild oats, half-drunken man, half-bold over goat. These winos fly to Dionysian heights, soar over castle moats, caper then leap clean over every last pastoral shepherd's fence. This one's called... Uh, a great deal of kicking up one's heels. Lacking dance partners, the miraculous alcoholics skip the prom and gallivant with their bad habits, plastered, blasted, tripping lights, fantastic. Barroom rather than ballroom ballerinas. They learn and lean and twirl like elixirs a swirl as their hips spin like stirred and shaken gin and tonics. Something between a mashed potato and a human torpedo is born on dance floors of their own intoxication. They drink until they sink all ships at sail in tall icy glasses until their Cossack kicks thaw white Russian Siberias 
What moves might bust loose? What strange dances might transpire? Bouncer, bartender, and police have no idea. The limes they bite lead inevitably to more tequila. Just one more of these. The miraculous alcoholics look sleek and composed as a cold mezcal bottle in the midday desert shadows. Composed when propped aghast in bathroom stalls, sleek while slurring words before tall glasses, immersed in rare guardiente, they seem to live forever at some far oasis. They make sunstroke their pillow, mirage their odd bedfellow, someone who overhears them unzipping spines as they disrobe from seguero suit and undo heavy aloe vera boots, please distill into morphine drip the ease that spreads when they slip on opium pajamas, deliver their valerian nightclothes, let us slumber like them with one hand on the mother load, like B. Traven or Ambrose Bierce, purposefully lost and known only by aliases in Mexico. This is a, oh, I'll do one from, this is a book of uh, poems about fire. Uh, yeah, this guy uh, did the painting for it, which is pretty intense. He teaches ski lessons in the Elkhorn Mountains, painted an eight-foot painting. And that's what the <laughs> that's what that's from. Uh, I'll just read one about this is about a uh, farm in Macomb, Illinois, where uh, there was a supposedly a fire starter. August seventh, nineteen forty-eight. The faceless gods of burning barns and rural fires claim their own sacrifices. A host of unexplained blazes engulf the Willie Farm in Macomb, Illinois. 200 fires a week, 29 a day. So fantastic I'm ashamed, admits the town fire chief in disbelief. The Illinois fire marshal agrees. No one swears he has seen mania take flame like this before. According to the Air Force, it's directed Russian radiation. Brown spots smolder like bad radar on the wallpaper. Scaring neighbors who stand by with hoses ready for impending conflagration. Hordes of reporters and exorcists fail to sort through or dissuade the growing yellow-orange outrage. Blamed for the enraged drapes for the white-hot milk house. A bored, troubled teen named Juanette McNeil, forced to live with her uncle after a divorce, tries to escape by burning down the place. Jailed for petty mischief, she assailed every crease of acreage with hate, with limitless struck kitchen matches. They say her fervor lit fireproof plaster seethed across wet floor and ceiling. Dissenters, however, assert invisible causes. Pyro poltergeist insatiable for flame. Teenage psychokinesis. It was a fun book to write. <laughs> if you like fire, so... This is my new one, um, Ghost Town Odes. It's uh, filled with, it's a more historical book. You know, that, that last poem, like I started to write history type poems in the Fire Diaries, but this book, I kind of really took it further. And there are many poems in here that take on the voice of historical figures, tell the story of ghost towns and the Northwest. And I'll just read a couple of them and call it a night. Um, what have I got marked here? 
Okay, that's not one of the ones I wanted to read. Okay. This one's pretty uh, pretty interesting. Um, this is about Antelope, Oregon, about the Rajaneshis. Anybody know the story about that? This tells a little bit of that story, so I think you you may be able to surmise it from the... It's called Ghost Town Requests Her Majesty's Presence Singing Country Western Song, Antelope, Oregon. Uh, Ruthless Sheila. This is the town of Antelope speaking, by the way. So, Ruthless Sheila. Scheming queen of the Rajneeshis, Wasco County's noose, the truth, droops from a juniper for you. Why not fly back from Switzerland and try it on? A bandana, a dobro, a rhinestone suit with fringe, and a big belt buckle that says bioterror await. We'd like to hear you croon, a country western song soaked with regret, a fable humbly bemoaning your power binge from a singer blushed, ashamed of her audacity. A tune better than any by Tammy Wynette, saying you're truly sorry, not asking for pity, but admitting you were wrong. How when you bought Big Muddy Ranch, moved in your Sanusons, and renamed Antelope, you thought it all would fall into your lap. So sing to us. Come on now. Join in. Confess the fraud, the wiretaps, the hit lists, the assassin's failed plans, the salmonella salads at the Sizzler and the Dells. The homeless voters shuttled in, then dumped into surrounding towns. Tell us you were so paranoid and high on drugs, so stressed out with guru debts, yet so lassoed by Bhagwan Shri, you became a power-hungry thug. You'd give hugs, meditate, then hatefully manipulate. So Sheila, let your guilty lilt just soar. Our backup singers will reply right back, yes, we know you're not that person anymore. When your song's over... We'll slide your record into its jacket of dust. File it with all your other lies. Antelope will still be here to say we stayed. To celebrate as 93 Rolls Royces loaded up on trucks were hauled away. We have voices and we're here to say we may have been a pale shade like those 750 victims poisoned by our escapades. The scattered, tattered sage grass on these hillsides. But we survived. Oh, geez, thanks. I'll just do one more. Since you clapped, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a crazy story. I, I, the time frame, I want to say it's the 70s, the 1970s, early 70s. Yeah, yeah. That's the guru. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not sure if it's the same guy. I want to say it might be, actually. You'd have to look that up. Yeah, but he was a charismatic kind of cult leader. Yeah, took over a town, little town in Oregon named Antelope. This is a... Yeah. Yeah, and the Rolls Royces were... Definitely. Um, I'll read one more. This is about Hot Lake, Oregon. Has anyone ever been there? It's supposed to be haunted, and uh, yeah, but it was a had a long, long history. Um, my wife grew up in that area, so she has a lot of stories about it. Kids used to sneak into the the hotel, and there's a hot spring there, and it's dilapidated for years and years. And so this is a, a poem in the voice of Doctor W. T. Phi, who is the doctor. It was a sanitarium 
where they did uh, experimental surgeries and things like that there, which they think is part of the reason it may maybe haunted. Uh, but uh, he was a pretty famous guy. Dr. W.T. Fye tells why the Hot Lake Hotel is haunted, Hot Lake, Oregon. That summer, all my favorite patients died, and the lake smelled like their sad decay. The tribal leader claimed my pride had brought bad spirits to the place. No one else had seen his apparition. I am a man of science, trial and fact. I confess I was obsessed by visions, which disturbed a surgeon who surprises the exact. The hotel derelict in terrible disrepair. The medical records of long-dead patients spread across the floors upstairs. Naked bathers paced with an ancient languor through the ballroom, horrifying couples, affluent dancing guests. Sun porch windows showed throes of the dying. A heaviness stuck on my chest. The hotel itself came alive as a bad dream. Gazebos of supposed ghosts, doors ajar, flew open in the face of screaming teens, which were the hotel's screams. It was a it was part racing heart laced with adrenaline. Its many hands lost flashlights, felt for doors. Past experiments performed stood upright, made my medical library a fright. Shadow figures watched me operate. Forlorn, not the same. I was what science can't explain. My former wives were versed in my worst fears and reassembled in the lobby to complain of my infidelities, then leave in tears. And Mark, my son, you returned as a child again. My apologies echoed across the lake. You wouldn't listen. You played wrong notes on your saxophone again, the same mistakes that always made me angry. Every day since floats on waters that reflect Lacrustan trains, unloading passengers at some long-vanished depot. Mist faces breathe beneath the boardwalk in the rain. This hotel echoes through my stethoscope. These heartbeats aren't my patients. Strange breaths stir. I try to diagnose such ills and I lose hope. I've caused an affliction I can't cure. I hear myself cry out as if far away, victim of some brute sickness, some suffering I can't endure, crushed under the ruthless hissing pressure of the truth, the immeasurably heavy weight of memory. Thanks. With the, with the, the, the heterochromatic eyes or one eye that's all like different color, it's like super black. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. With the, with the, with the, Crazy, yeah.